Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on April 11, 2018, focusing on state and local tax implications of the newly enacted international tax reform provisions. The panelists for the webcast were Rob Osman, Barb Coulter, and Ken Lee, all PwC tax partners in our state and local tax practice, and Elizabeth Nelson, a managing director focusing on international tax issues. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the state and local implications from federal tax reform, focusing particularly on state conformity issues around the Internal Revenue Code and state legislative developments. Take a listen. So let's set the table a little bit related to the SALT and IRC conformity. You saw this map when we were presented in January, early January, right after tax reform. And obviously it's changed a little since then. Some key components for us to consider, right, are the seven states that have actually enacted IRC conformity since that time. And you can see the changes from the January map to this map. And we've highlighted those by putting them in black labels. And those are the states that have adopted the Internal Revenue Code one way or the other uh, since January of 2018. In addition, two rolling conformity states that we've talked about before with Oregon and New York have also adopted provisions, or will be adopting provisions actually, in the near term related to tax reform. And so we need to consider those components as well. And what's interesting is that just this week, actually, Arizona has also enacted IRC conformity. So this is an ever-evolving map that we'll be talking about most, most specifically for the next you know, six months as the legislatures continue to uh, go through their process. If we start thinking about some of the legislative developments that have happened over the course of the last uh, four months, right, let's talk about a few of those and some of the highlights and some of the differences. So if we look at Florida, Florida adopted the Internal Revenue Code effective as a 1118. What's interesting about Florida is that they didn't do any retroactive changes for 2017. So when you look at their code and the way that they've adopted, for 2017 they've adopted the code as of 1117 with no connection to what happened related to tax reform. Effective in 1118, they've adopted the full code as of that point in time and only decoupled from 168K. You take that into comparison to Georgia, right? Georgia had two bills that came through, ultimately confirming to the code as of uh, February 9th, 2018, applicable to the 2017 code. But what they did on top of that is they decoupled from certain provisions related to the code, in particular 163J and 168K, so bonus depreciation and the interest provisions they decoupled from. They did adopt the IRC uh, rules around NOLs and the 80% limitation going forward. And as part of their second bill, they actually adopted and said that one, um, 951A, the guilty income, should be treated as a dividend for purposes of Georgia and subject to the state DRD rules. And then to the extent that you didn't get a 250 deduction, that's the piece that you'd get the deductible for Georgia. When we look at Idaho, they actually had three bills that came through. The first bill adopted the code as of December 21st, 2017. And when they did that, they said, we're not going to conform to the code at that point because um, the, the enactment of tax reform was really December 22nd, 2017. They then adopted, you know, just to 965. The second bill that they passed through then went said uh, that, hey, we're going to actually adopt the code as of uh, February 9th for certain provisions including the 965, but as part of that, they actually then required add back related to the deduction in 965C, which we'll talk about shortly. 
So the, the point of those three states is you can see how there's definitely a difference between the states mm -hmm. and how they're adopting the code. And something that we'll continue to have to monitor as we go through the legislation going forward. If we look at the New York bill, the governor hasn't signed it yet, so it's something that we'll have to wait to make sure that it's been enacted. Uh, but it's presumed that he's going to enact it. And when, when he does sign it, right, some things to note is that they're doing uh, add back related to FDII. They're following the federal conformity to 951 cap A along with the 250 deduction, right? And then like the other states, like we saw with Idaho, they're doing an add back as it relates to 965C. So they want to make sure, and we'll talk about this in more detail in part of the presentation, that we're not getting a double deduction as it relates to 965C. Mm -hmm. A couple more states to just highlight as we're going through is related to Oregon. The governor's indicated that she's going to sign the bill in Oregon. Uh, and again, they're decoupling from the 965C provisions and saying that it's the gross piece that you're going to pick up as part of income. And then on top of that, because of their previous tax haven rules, they're actually then going to give you a credit mechanism for any income you previously picked up related to tax havens. Two more states to note on this slide. Virginia, it's interesting to note that they've only adopted the code for 2017. Going back retroactively in the code, uh, effective for 2018, to pre-tax reform rules. And the real reason for that appears to be that they didn't know what they wanted to do as far as the 18 provisions, so they're just giving themselves more time to kind of figure out what they do either in this legislative, legislative session or more likely into next year's session. And the last state to note, which is very interesting, is Wisconsin. Wisconsin adopted the code, right, effective for 2018. So in 17, they're stuck in the code as of uh, 16. So no conformity. But when they adopted the code for 2007, for 18, they actually decoupled from a lot of the provisions, including those related to 965, those related to 250. So actually, they're, they're not conforming more than they are. So again, the lesson related to the legislative developments is we have to stay on top of these changes as they're happening. And the impact that it's going to have on us, not only obviously in Q1 that we're just wrapping up, but Q2 in the future. And another thing to note, too, is that these legislative sessions are continuing on for the next several months yes. as well, so there'll be more guidance that comes out. Well, that's a good lead-in, Barb. If we look at what, what's happening with the legislative sessions, this is the map as of April 4th. And what's interesting about this map is when we look at it, early April, five states are already going to be done with their legislative sessions. So probably by today, those five states are already wrapped up. By April 24th, April 21st, another uh, seven states are going to be actually wrapped up by then. So we'll have 12 more states that are all done. By June 30th, 11 more states will actually be wrapped up on top of that. So what we're left with at the end of June is really nine active states. And in those nine active states, they include Wisconsin and New York, which have already enacted some level of legislation related to tax reform. So most of this is going to get wrapped up by Q2, and we'll have greater guidance if there is going to be any related to tax reform at that time. The last comment I wanted to make in regards to tax reform and things to think about is, okay, we've talked about the IRC conformity, but as we saw with the IRS notices that came out, there is a disconnect uh, from a standpoint of state between federal and state and um, consolidated return rules. And so all this slide is really trying to tell the audience is that when we look at it from a federal consolidated perspective, you'll remember that 1502-13 really talks about it from a standpoint of the amount and the location of how it happens in the code and where it's actually recorded. And that's done on a separate entity approach. And then when you look at 1502-13 from a standpoint of single entity, that's when it's looking at timing, character, and really the sourcing of, the, of the, you know, either the income or the expense. That becomes important because when we think about it from a state perspective, unitary isn't consolidated. 
And we've talked about that in other webcasts. And the reason that becomes important is states may have only adopted in their unitary rules DISH-13. They wouldn't have adopted the full consolidated return rules in the unitary context. Unitary is really just a method of apportionment. So it's how we apportion the income to the states as far as the overall group. Some states will conform to the consolidated return rules, some states won't. So it becomes very important for us as that we look as the new notices and guidance comes out federally, how we have that disconnect between federal and state and the implications that we'll talk about as the rest of the webcast. Yeah, and I think an important point on this slide too is people have been thinking about tax reform in the context of conformity to the relevant tax reform provisions, but it's really important that we take into account the federal tax reform provisions that are relying upon these consolidated return regs, because that also changes the state answer and how we view things. And what one they point to, they, when, like the notice that just came out and they said that we're going to point to the federal consolidated return rules, they didn't tell us which one. So if I look at a state that is only partially adopted, there's a level of uncertainty there for us as to how it's going to work within the states. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.